Welcome to Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you'll hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. In this episode, Darcy Gratodero, the director of the Center for Workplace Mental Health, which is a foundation of the American Psychiatric Association, discusses suicide in the workplace. What are the signs that an employee may be in distress? And what can HR professionals do to prevent occupational suicide? These are some of the questions we will be answering today. Welcome, Darcy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's important to have this conversation, so I'm delighted to be joining you. Darcy Gratodero joined the American Psychiatric Association Foundation in 2017 as the director of the Center for Workplace Mental Health. As rector, she develops strategic relationships and collaboration with employees, business groups representing employers, colleague organizations, and other key stakeholders. Before joining the center, Ms. Gratodero served in multiple senior level positions with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And prior to that, she practiced law with the Harris Beach Law Firm, concentrating her legal practice on healthcare and mental health related issues. She has a Juris Doctor from the Western New England University School of Law. Darcy, how do you define occupational suicide? So occupational suicide is defined as when an individual dies by suicide on the work site. So whether that's in an office building, out on a construction site, or in other locations related to the person's work, but it is actually um, when someone dies by suicide in the workplace, regardless of the setting. A recent article from the Washington Post titled, More Americans Are Killing Themselves at Work makes reference to a December 2019 Bureau of Labor Statistics report on occupational fatalities. And the article makes the point that more people are killing themselves in the workplace than ever before, and that the number of suicides is the highest it's ever been since the Bureau began tracking the data 26 years ago. And this report was published before COVID-19 pandemic. So can you tell us what the U.S. statistics on workplace suicide are and how have they changed in the past, say, 20 years? Sure. Sadly, we know, as you mentioned, that the numbers are actually going up and they're going up considerably. So we know from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they started counting workplace suicides in 1992, actually, and the rate at that time was just over 200. It has remained steady with a slight dip in 2005 to 180 suicides in that year. And then the highest rate actually had occurred in 2018 with 304 deaths. That represented an 11% increase. I think it's important too to, to point out that the latest data we have shows that in 2017, we had a 40% increase from 2000 to 2017 and the number of suicide deaths that occurred in the US. And that number's at 47,000 suicides. So a 40% increase, which is a major jump. We also know that we had in the 2017 data that was released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 1 million attempts at suicide. 
So these numbers are, are moving in the wrong direction with a 40% increase in the general population. But again, that 11% increase in the 2018 data on workplace suicides is very concerning. Indeed, I think you made a very good point about the fact that what this data does not count is the attempted suicide. I suspect the workplace numbers reflect the larger crisis in, in society. Why do you think the number of occupational suicide has increased and why are they occurring in the workplace, specifically in the workplace? I think that's a great question that likely needs further study. But what we certainly know is we know the occupations for which the numbers are growing and have remained steadily high. So for example, construction is one, oil and gas is another, the arts, design and services, services like auto repair and auto service businesses, all and transportation is another one. Certainly construction has stayed near the top and this is an occupation that is male dominated. There are many middle-aged white males that are part of the construction industry. The culture in construction, oil and gas, transportation, and some of the others I mentioned, the culture tends to be somewhat stoic and stigma really stays much higher than it should be. And stigma, as we know, is very much a barrier to people getting help when they need it. There's also a reluctance in some of these professions that have very high incidence of suicide. There's a reluctance for people to seek help. There's a perception that seeking help for things like high extreme levels of stress, anxiety, depression, substance use, there's this reluctance on the basis that there'll be a, they'll, people will be perceived as weak that really it's a sign of strength to not have to get help when you need it. Also for some of these professions, there tends to be access to lethal means, or it is a profession or an occupation in which there may be a higher tendency for people to be gun owners in some of these professions. Also, there's a transient nature in the work when it comes to certainly construction, oil and gas, people tend to move around. They may be part of a labor union and be assigned to different work locations. There's not sort of that grounding in community that people have in working with others and really establishing those relationships that can be protective factors. My understanding is that having access to drugs, for example, for medical professionals is also helping, if I, if I may say, uh, the fact that they have access to uh, lethal means, as you mentioned. Yes. Yeah, so they're there. And that's such a good point. Medications and um, pain relievers and some of the highly addictive uh, medicines that we've had major issues with, like opioids, people in some of these. So whether it's the healthcare sector and there's real concern, especially among women who have a slightly higher rate of suicide in the healthcare profession, some of that may be related to access to medication but men have a much higher rate of suicide. And we know, for example, in some of the professions I mentioned, like construction, like oil and gas, like transportation, there may be a higher propensity for injury. So where there's injury, there's pain relief and pain relief can come in the form of pain medications like opioids. It can also come with alcohol and other drug use. So that tendency can lead to addiction. And we know with addiction can come overall physical health, other physical health issues, and certainly it impacts your mental health and well-being. So it's sort of the whole package 
when it comes to overuse of drugs and alcohol when it comes to your health and well-being. What are the signs that an employee might be in distress? As people look at and and work closely with their coworkers, regardless of the profession they're in, what's really important is to look for changes. Changes in someone that kind of stand out. And that can include changes in behavior, mood, appearance, thinking. So for someone who say used to on a construction site, for example, have lunch with coworkers at noontime or who used to go out after work and uh, socialize with coworkers, if there's a change in the way they, they interact with others, if they become more isolated, quieter, or if they become more aggressive and more angry, that's a warning sign, certainly. Also, if someone seems to be excessively tired, it looks like they're not sleeping well, they mention they're arguing a lot with their spouse or their partner or their family members, that can be a sign of extreme distress. The sort of physical appearance, someone who was somewhat put together coming to work suddenly just looks disheveled, doesn't look like they're themselves at all, or they're showing up late, or they're not showing up at all. These kinds of things are warning signs, and they're really worthy of a coworker asking, you know, are you okay? This is what I'm seeing, and this doesn't seem like you, and I'm just concerned about you. So those kinds of changes you see are really a sign that there's probably something going on. It could be any number of things, but it's worthy of checking in. Darcy, are organizations required to report work-related suicides to state or federal agencies? Yes. When a worker dies on the job, the employer has a responsibility to report that to OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which is an agency within the U.S. Department of Labor. And they obviously collect the data that we see on suicides by profession. It is likely that in nearly every state, there are similar requirements. So states collect this data. I'm sure there's some variation from state to state in terms of state laws. But of course, states are also interested in understanding this so that they can look at the data and really be proactive and how they might work with industry, work with employer groups, so they can begin to address where there's a spike in suicide. They too are interested in understanding what the numbers look like. So yes, at the federal level, and most likely in most states, it's also a requirement. Of course, occupational suicides are a daunting problem for organizations and for HR professionals. And many of them are really struggling with how to respond. About 10 years ago, most companies saw suicide as a personal or even a medical issue and would say that it has nothing to do with work. How should they respond and what can HR professionals do to prevent suicides in their organization? I believe that employers have increasingly recognized the importance of not just physical well-being, but total health. So really recognizing that understanding how employees are doing when it comes to their physical, emotional, and mental health and overall well-being is extremely important. It's important from the perspective of performance, productivity, retention, and really creating a work, the workplace is, is increasingly being seen as a community. It's where we spend the bulk of our time. So it's really important that 
HR professionals recognize that if they want to be a high-performing organization, it's going to take more than just looking at the physical health of employees and their well-being, but also their mental and emotional health. So what can they do? One, they can certainly raise awareness about mental health and well-being. They can really share things like the, the warning signs of conditions like depression, anxiety, substance use. Those are very common conditions that occur in the workplace. Two, they can really look at their organizational culture. Do people feel a sense of connection and a really a feeling of belonging? Organizational culture is extraordinarily important when it comes to getting high performance, getting high productivity, and creating environments in which people want to remain and, and work at their highest level. And you really, it's important that organizations periodically evaluate the culture to ensure there are not toxic elements. Now, how do you do this? Certainly, this can be done with periodic surveys of employees. It can be done anonymously. It can be done by holding town halls and allowing people to anonymously comment or ask questions and also inviting comments on how is our organizational culture. Again, just so that people feel safe, you might want to make some of that anonymous so that people feel that sense of openness. And when it comes to openness, it's really important to create an environment in which people feel safe to communicate how they're feeling, they can discuss their, the challenges they're facing, and also what's essential is that people know where to go to get help. And it's not just about telling people when you onboard them, this is the number for the EAP, this is our benefits plan, this is how you get the help you need, but it's reminding people periodically that this is how you connect with our EAP. Our EAP is there if you're feeling high levels of stress. This is clearly very important right now with COVID-19, but it's always important. Also reminding people of the benefits that are available and reminding them frequently. And then the other thing is leadership. Leadership sets the culture in organizations. Leadership should be willing to show some vulnerability because when a leader talks about things like mental health and well-being, or maybe their personal connection through family or friends to someone who may be struggling with a substance use disorder or a mental health condition, that opens the door to people feeling like it's safe to seek help and have those conversations. We need to see more of an openness and the leadership is where we really see the culture shift. And then finally, I would say, if organizations have an employee assistance program, look at your data. If you're seeing low numbers, if your data is showing only 2% of people are reaching out, that's a warning sign that you need to really connect with the EAP, talk about innovative approaches to encouraging people to get help, work with them on doing presentations, work with them on town hall meetings. They can be virtual in newsletter submissions around mental health, emotional health, and well-being. And really think about how do we help people feel safe seeking help when they need it. I'm glad you mentioned uh, the impact on the organization or the organization. On a, it's a human loss and, and a financial loss, of course. But we rarely talk about the people left behind. In other words, the co-workers of those who uh, have taken their lives. How can those uh, who worked with the person who's now deceased survive? You know, how can they process their feelings? Very important question. There is so much available now on postvention. It is really important to, to take a responsible approach to this. So there are wrong ways to do this and right ways to do it. 
I would say the wrong way is to ignore the fact that it happened because people are likely feeling traumatized. They feel the sense of loss. They have a lot of questions. On the other hand, this is a human being who is connected to family and friends, and they may have very strong feelings about how it should be handled too. But HR and the organization should really consult with the Action Alliance on Suicide Prevention. There are lots of materials on postvention. It's extremely important that organizations follow. And, and this is going to vary by culture too, by the way. There's not one general way for every organization to handle this in a certain way. A lot is going to depend on the culture of the organization. But certainly talking with leadership, coming up with a plan, making sure that you are addressing it in a way that fits well within your culture and work with the postvention materials that are out there so that you really come up with a, a plan that's going to work best for your organization. Again, it's not a one size fits all. This can really vary by the culture of your organization. Darcy, you're the director of the Center for Workplace Mental Health. Can you tell our listeners what the center does and how it can help employers? Sure. We have lots of free resources on our website, which is workplacementalhealth.org, easy to remember. We have certainly resources to help educate and inform HR professionals, managers, and leaders on common conditions like anxiety, depression, substance use, trauma, and others. We have resources on suicide, including resources on postvention. We also have case studies. So case studies across different industries of organizations that have done highly innovative work when it comes to addressing mental health in the workplace and creating healthy culture when it comes to mental health and well-being. We are rolling out in about two weeks a new training called Notice Talk Act at Work that is an e-learning module for people managers to help them really be able to notice those warning signs I mentioned earlier and changes in people knowing how to start a conversation, which can be very challenging for people when it comes to mental health, that can still be a taboo topic for many. So feeling more comfortable with how do I approach this in a way that's empathetic and compassionate, but really connects the person with the fact that you are someone who wants to help them and you're on their side. And then finally, understanding how to connect people with services and supports. So we are rolling out that training. We have guides for employers, Lots of resources there for employers to use on a variety of topics. Thank you, Darcy, for sharing your insights with us about workplace suicides and how HR professionals may help in preventing them. If you or someone you know needs help, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-TALK, which is 800-273-8255. You can also text a crisis counselor by messaging the crisis text line at 741741. Thank you, Darcy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you will hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources.